This teaching is from City Church Coventry. You can find us online at www.citychurchcoventry.org. Through the summer, uh, we had seven different people speaking from Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 2 about our part or our place in God's eternal purpose. And then last week and this week, um, I'm digging into Ephesians 3. And last week we talked about how uh, the purpose of God before the time of Christ was a mystery hidden, a hidden mystery. Uh, um, but, but actually what God wanted to do was actually shown all over the pages of Scripture. But because Christ hadn't come and the light of Christ hadn't been shone, it was kind of a, it was, it was, it was mysterious, it was shadowy, it wasn't clear. But then when Jesus came, a light suddenly switches on. And that's really what our whole New Testament is. It's, it's apostles who were given this incredible gift and ability to shine the light of Jesus' incarnation, his death and his resurrection, his ascension, his sitting down in the heavens and the outpouring of the Spirit and the great light that that brought into the earth and to shine it into the Old Testament scriptures and show us what God has been up to. And what was a hidden mystery became revealed. And what God revealed was his own glory. John says, you know, we, we have seen his glory. We have seen his glory. We've touched it. We felt it. And he's, he's particularly making reference to that time on the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James and John go up a mountain with Jesus and, and suddenly Jesus, the carpenter, Jesus, the, the rabbi, Jesus, the Galilean becomes this glorified Jesus who he always was. And they see him in his glorified form and, and Moses and Elijah turn up to have a look as well. And the father says, this is my beloved son. Do what he says. John says, we've seen that glory. But do you know what Paul tells us? We're going to look at Ephesians 3 now. Is that we're going to see that glory as well. Not just in Christ. But in the church. Because what was the hidden mystery is becoming God's revealed glory. So turn with me to Ephesians 3. I'm going to try not to speak for too long, which is always the wrong thing to say. Because already uh, there's quite a lot going on this morning. And um, we've already kind of had a, a rich feast. But there are a few things I do want to just bring out from the scripture here. We're going to read the whole of the chapter. It's not very long. Of Ephesians 3. For this reason I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus... On behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I've already written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in generations as it's been known in other generations, as it's now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise of Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, although I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan 
of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant to you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Paul says, you know, the mystery has been revealed. And what's been revealed is the glory of God. God wants the whole world to know who he is. He doesn't want anything hidden anymore. He came, Hebrews tells us that in past times God spoke through the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his son. Paul tells us in, Col- in Colossians 1, he is, the, he is the image of the invisible God, the exact imprint of his nature. God is rev- He wants the world to know. He says, I want everyone to know not just a little bit about me, but to experience me. You know, the glory of something is both its perfection, but it's also what kind of emanates from it or radiates from it. He says, I I want you to to know me. I want you to be included. And to the church, he says, Paul says at the end, to him be glory in Christ Jesus and in the church, in every generation. You know, God wants all that's in Christ to be seen and experienced in his church in every generation. And when, it talks, when Paul talks here about God's plan, he says his plan is now through the church. You see, that what God has been doing for all time, God's first purpose in creation, and what he's ultimately doing, which is to create a universe where God and mankind enjoy one another without inhibition, where all things have been made new, where sin has been taken away, where death has been taken away, where there is no corruption, where there is nothing that impedes us from knowing God and we enjoy him for all time. He says, that purpose I'm outworking through my church. We're not just sitting here waiting for something that's going to happen. We're right in the middle of the plan and purpose of God. That's what he's called you to. That's why the church is such a wonderful thing. That's why, because, it, because it's, not just, it's not just a great place full of lovely people. It's not just a, 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 you know, a, a good alternative to living the way the world lives, although it is that. But it means that you're right in the middle and right in the heart of what God is doing. It's why it's worth giving your life for. There's no greater example of that really than the Apostle Paul who thought he was being zealous for the purposes of God by persecuting the church and then he himself is confronted with the glory of Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus and it's the middle of the day and the sun's high in the sky and he's looking up into heaven. I'm pretty sure everyone with him thought he was staring at the sun and that's why he went blind. 
But he was actually staring at something brighter than the sun. He was staring at Jesus enthroned in his glory. And you know, at the end of his life, Paul is put on trial multiple different times. And one time he's before a governor called Felix. And he, he gives his testimony. And he talks about that experience. And he said, I had this heavenly vision. And he said, I've not been unfaithful to the heavenly vision. And here's the thing. If you actually measure what Paul did with his life, he just went from hot and dusty town to hot and dusty town to Roman, to Roman city to the next place to the next place. And he told people about Jesus and he helped them form into churches, communities of believers. And you know, there was nothing particularly spectacular about them. In Paul's time, none of them would have owned a building. They wouldn't have worn special clothes. None of that would have happened. He says to the Corinthians, he says, remember, he says, none of you were, you know, not many of you were rich, not many of you were, were wise, not many of you were noble, but God took the things that are not. And this glorious vision of Christ that Paul has, he says, you know, I've replicated that on the earth. And it looks like, and if you, don't want, if you want to know what it looks like today, just, just turn around a little bit and have a look around this room. Because Paul would, would look at you and he'd say, that's the heavenly vision. That's what I saw of Jesus. A community of people whose lives have been transformed by the gospel. Who've joined themselves together in the purpose of spreading the gospel in the world and thereby showing the glory of God. I've read this to you before. Chris has got a difficult task on the slides this morning because I can't really remember how the slides fit with what I'm saying, but I'm pretty sure this scripture is on there. 2 Timothy 1, 9 and 10. And you'll have heard me share this before from... Yeah, let's go to the next one. There we go, and then we'll go back to the other one. This is from the J.B. Phillips translation. That's why it's on the, on the screen because you probably don't have it. But I love this summary of the gospel. This is probably the last letter that Paul wrote, and I do believe that Paul wrote the pastoral epistles. This is the last, probably the last letter he wrote, and he gives this wonderful summation of the gospel here. It's great to see through his life how he talks about the gospel gets bigger, not smaller. He says that God has rescued us from all that is really evil and called us to a life of holiness. Not because of any of our achievements, but for his own purpose. You have been called, you've been saved for his own purpose. Before time began, he planned to give us in Christ the grace to achieve this purpose. Before he even called you, before even time began, he had already determined that what I call you to, I'm going to give you the grace to achieve it. Isn't that great? If you ever wonder, can I do it? Remember that before God even invented time, he determined he was going to give you everything you needed to achieve his purpose. Isn't that incredible? But it's only since our Savior Christ Jesus has been revealed that the method has become apparent. I like that. Hidden mystery, but now revealed glory. And what is the method? For Christ has completely abolished death and has now, through the gospel, opened up to us men the shining possibilities of the life that is eternal. His method is you. His method is the gospel working in you and through you. His method is a bunch of people filled with the Holy Spirit, a community who are like a house being built to be a place where God can be found. That's his method. The gospel is a doorway, but it's not a doorway to get you into heaven. It's a doorway to get heaven into the earth. That's you and that's me. 
Psalm 24 says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you ancient doors. Do you know who the, who the gates and the ancient doors are? It's me and you. It's me and you. We become a temple of the Holy Spirit. And what's a temple? It's a connection between heaven and earth. And God says, I'm, I'm opening doorways. I'm opening doorways that are called your life. I'm opening doorways that are called the church. You know, I think it's in Hebrews that tells us that, you know, we've entertained angels unawares, or at least the guys that have been written to. Why? Because the angels still believe that the church is the gateway of heaven. (laughs) I don't know, maybe there's some angels in the room this morning. Let's just hope they take a good report back to heaven. God's opened a door in our lives and through his church to bring the realities of heaven into the earth. Let's pick up a couple of phrases. I think this is probably back on the previous slide. The word plan is used here and it's used three times in the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 1 verse 10, it says that God set forth a plan in Christ. There's a, there's a, there's, the more you dig down into this, the more you find it works at so many levels. But Jesus himself is God's plan. If you think about, you know, Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Revelation 21, I saw a new heavens and a new earth. And as you read it, you realize it becomes one place. One way we can read the whole of the plan and purpose of God is he said, I start as two places, one for God and one for man, and we end up with one place where God and men and women and all humanity can dwell together in perfect love and harmony. Jesus was fully God, fully man. He came from heaven into the earth he in just doing that shows us that he is a a plan of God he is the plan of God I'm showing he said I'm showing you in myself that what God is doing he's about uniting heaven and earth I'm about I'm about elevating humanity into a union with the eternal God that's what happens when the Holy Spirit (coughs) comes into you you come into a union with God There are some bold things the Bible says that I would never be able to say if I didn't read them in there. But Peter says that we are partakers of the divine nature. 1 Corinthians 10 says that the cup and the bread are a participation in the body and the blood of Christ. Hebrews tells us that Jesus isn't ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. When we put our faith in Jesus, we're elevated. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that, that when we're born naturally, we're like Adam and we're made out of the dust. But when we come into Christ, we're joined with the man who is of heaven. And many, many other ways that we can see that, God, that Christ is God's plan. Christ's life is God's plan for getting eternal life into you. Because he wants to get you to the place of of resurrection life. And that's what happens when we're born again. And and particularly the image of of baptism is a a picture of of death and resurrection. But in order to get to resurrection, you have to go through crucifixion. Which is why Paul says things like, you know, I've been crucified with Christ. I've been crucified to this world. It's no longer I live, but Christ lives in me. You see, Christ's life is is a picture and a plan of what God Wants to do. And that picture of, of his transfigured existence that they saw on the top of the mountain becomes a permanent reality in his resurrection. Where God is saying, I want to show you what I want to do for the whole of creation. I want to bring it to its glorious perfection. 
In Ephesians 3, we're told that his plan has been entrusted to the prophets. Fundamentally, that's in the, in the writing of the scripture so that when you open your Bible, it's like these wonderful, powerful LED lights in the room here. Suddenly it goes, Poo. now you can see what God's doing. They've brought to light for us the purpose of God and we can dig down into the scripture. It's why it's important as well that we, we acknowledge and receive the ministry of present day apostles and prophets. Like Paul says here, it's not been in the past it was hidden, but now it's been revealed through the apostles and prophets. And the ministry of apostles and prophets is to continue to come and, and shed the light of the scripture. And say, this is what God is doing. This is the plan and the purpose of God. And to bring more and more light from the scripture. And because of what Ephesians 4 says, that all the ministries, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher, are all about equipping the saints for works of service. A true apostle will shed the light of the resurrection of Christ and the eternal purpose of God into your heart from the scripture, but he'll do it in such a way that you can then go and do it yourself. A prophet will open, will bring you the word of God, but will train you in such a way that you become more and more accustomed to hearing the word of God. A teacher will open up the scripture and teach you, but he will equip you or she will equip you in a way that says, I can go and draw from the scripture myself. That's, that's kind of how it works. The best pastors have got the, less work, the least work to do because they're the ones that show their sheep how to care for one another. The third time we talk about the plan is that it's now been made known through the church. Now through the church, the, let me see what was the translation we had here. Now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. That word manifold is is. It describes a prism, what a prism does to light. How all the different colours within the light. So if we think of the wisdom of God or the glory of God as, as brilliant white light, as it shines through the prism, lots of different colours shoot out. And God says, I want to show all the different facets of my wisdom. I want to show all the different facets of my plan. I want to show all the different facets of my glory. And you know, you and I, each one of us, we, we show something slightly different of the grace of God. Because the story of how God has, has taken you and has transformed your life by his grace and by his Holy Spirit is slightly different to my story. Or maybe radically different to the story of the person sitting next to you. But you know what he's saying? What he's saying? He says that if you want to see the, if you want to see the power of the gospel, if you want to see the beauty of the gospel, look at a whole bunch of these lives. And every different bit of light will say something different about the work that God has done. And the interesting thing is it says that God's plan is now through the church, but he says, first of all, it's in the, in the heavenly places, in the spiritual realm. That we, you know, we are not an earthly people. We're, we're not, we have a greater affinity to the heavens than we do to the earth. Isn't that incredible? What's earthly about you is going to pass away. What's heavenly about you is going to last forever. And I don't know how you think about the church, but I, my prayer is like Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What, to see that this is, this, is an incredible, this is the most incredible thing in the world. The church of Jesus Christ. This is the wisdom of God. God had a plan. It was a really great plan and, and, and this is what it looks like. 
I wouldn't have done it the way that God did it. I probably would have used the angels. But God says, no, I'm not doing that. I'm going to use redeemed humanity. I'm going to use people that know what it is to be down in the mud and the dirt and the death that is the grave. And I'm going to bring them to life. Ezekiel saw it, didn't he? He said it was like a, it was like a valley full of dry bones. I don't know how bad you thought your life, what kind of how bad a shape you thought your life was in before you met Jesus. But Ezekiel saw you and he thought you just looked like dry bones in a valley of death. It's difficult to imagine a more hopeless picture, isn't it, really? And even then, God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the bones. No, 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 God, you can do it. Or send some angels. No, 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 I want to use a man. Prophesy. And when he spoke the word, the Holy Spirit came and breathed life. And God put flesh on the bones. And they didn't just come back to life, but they became a mighty army. That's you. We're a heavenly people. In Revelation 21, John says, I saw the holy city descending from heaven like a bride. He takes two images of the church, the city and the bride. And you know, the bride makes herself ready. I was at a wedding yesterday. It wasn't just the bride. There was a lot of work had gone into this wedding. Not much work had gone into the speeches, which was a shame, but uh, uh, (laughs) they weren't even so bad they were good. Um, (laughs) But a lot of effort had gone into making it ready, and there's a lot of effort that goes on here, isn't there, into making ourselves ready. And a lot of that activity, it looks like it's happening on the earth, but John says it looks like it was happening on the earth, but all the time the city was coming down out of heaven from God. Our source is heavenly. Our source is eternal. Paul then uses this phrase, the eternal purpose that's been realised or made known in Christ. And I want to give you, we've not got time to look at this in any detail at all, but it makes a great study. The Bible talks about all things. This phrase, all things, comes up a lot. In fact, it comes up in this passage where it talks about him. Uh, it talks about us uh, in verse 19 being filled with all the fullness of God. So this idea, being filled with all the fullness of God, that's a lot of fullness, that's a lot of stuff. (laughs) But the Bible talks about all things in these three different ways. First of all, it talks about that in the age of the Spirit, in the coming of the Spirit, all things are made possible. All things are made possible. And we know those phrases, don't we, when Jesus is, doing, is performing miracles and things. And he says, these things are impossible with man, but with God, all things are possible. Or all things are possible for those that believe. Or one of my favourite ones is with Mary, and I think it probably comes in Luke chapter 1. Where the angel appears and says that she's going to seek, conceive a child. And she says, how will this be? And the answer is the Holy Spirit will come upon you 
And then just kind of hidden away there on almost a throwaway line, it says, and all things will be possible. And I believe it's kind of a, a looking forward to the time that when the Holy Spirit is poured out. I, I love the character of, of, of Mary through the Gospels. Do you, do you ever get those little hints that we're given that she understood what was going on better than anyone else except Jesus? I think, I think she did. I really do think she did. She was given some insight. She treasured these things in her heart, it said, and it seems to me she, she stewarded them very well through her life. But Mary had this, had this understanding some 33, 34 years before Pentecost that a time was coming within her lifetime when all things would be possible. And the token of that, if you like, the prophetic seal of that or the prophetic foretaste of that was the fact that she was going to conceive supernaturally. And not only that she would conceive supernaturally, but what she would conceive, who she would conceive, would be the Son of God. You think, if that's possible, all things are possible. The next thing we find is that God, having made all things possible through pouring out his spirit, he wants to make all things visible. That's what Paul is saying. I, I want, this is the time when God is revealing, when he's making known. That's what he wants to do through the church. He wants the world to see what Jesus is really like. He says, I want to make all things visible. I want to make all that I'm doing. What with the the passage we read in 2 Timothy, he's brought to light through the gospel the shining possibilities of the life that is eternal. He wants your life. He wants my life. He wants our life together to be this big neon sign of saying, this is what's possible with God. This is what's possible with God. And don't then think, well, if anything bad happens in my life, or I find myself in a difficult situation, then somehow that negates that. No, it doesn't. Because actually, when light shines in the darkness, it shines even brighter. And when you're in the tough place, and when you're in the difficult place, and when the circumstances seem impossible, that's where someone who can stand there and say, but I'm... A believer, I'm a follower of the God of the impossible. He's made all things possible and he's going to make all things visible and my life is going to be a testimony of how with God there is nothing that is impossible. And finally, in Revelation 21, John hears a voice from the throne saying, Behold, I am making all things new. I'm making all things new. You know what? That's what Jesus is doing right now. He's making all things new. He's working on his new creation. Sure, there's, there's a time coming when heaven and earth will pass away and, and the new heavens and earth and the new creation will appear. But the new creation is already in this world. That's right. It was first seen by some women early in the morning on what we call Easter Sunday. When the risen Christ appeared. It was seen a little, while, a little while later by some guys. who, Some of whom took a bit of persuading. At one time 500 people saw the risen Christ at the same time. And I don't know how many were around when he said. Uh, you know, if you just want to know what it's like when you're part of the new creation. I'm just going to switch off gravity for a moment now. And I'm going to ascend into the heavens. 
Do you ever wonder what the, the new creation is going to be like, the new heavens and the new earth? I, uh, I, may have told you this, I may have told you this story before. In fact, the young men concerned part of the church with John and Ruth up in Oldham. But I, I asked a Bible school class one time, have you ever thought about what you'll do in the age to come? You know, we're given vague hints, aren't we, about ruling over cities and this sort of thing. It's going to be a very active time. So have you ever wondered why the universe is so vast when we don't have any ability to travel those distances? Well, maybe we will. Have you ever wondered what you're going to do in the age to come? One of the young men put his hand up and said, I have. He said, me and my brother, he says, we have a plan. We're going to have a planet where we breed velociraptors and then race them. I said, maybe you've spent a little bit too much time thinking about this. God is making all things new, but right now he's already working on it. He began it in Christ and he's, he's continuing it in you. Because the scripture tells me in 2 Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And you know, we tend to read that, they are a new creation. It's, it, we, we read it as a synonym for the fact that I've been born again. And that's great and that's fine and that's good and that's wonderful. and that's a, you, can, you can blow your mind just meditating on that. But the scripture, the, literally it says, if anyone is in new Christ, the new creation... If you're in Christ, the new creation has come. It's not just that you've been made new, it's that the new creation has broken in. And it then says, all this is out of God. Somehow God created the universe by the power of his word or the word of his power. But he's recreating out of himself. I've just got to the end of my revelation on that, so I can't tell you anymore. But but my mind kind of goes, wow, what does that mean? But it, and, and that's the work that's happening within me right now. The new creation. He's making all things new. He's already doing it. He's working it in you. You are part of his new creation. You know what will happen when Christ returns? When Christ returns, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that the mortal will be clothed in immortality. You and I, if we're still alive... It's my ambition, by the way, not to go to heaven. My ambition is not to go to heaven. If I die, let me just clarify, if I die, I definitely want to go to heaven. (laughs) (laughs) But my ambition is not to go to heaven. Because what heaven is right now is, is, is... for the believers that are there enjoying fellowship with God and worshipping him, that's not, that's, not their, that's not their end goal. That's not their final state. The dead in Christ will rise and they'll rise with an immortal body and we that are still awake will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye, <laughs> in a moment. And the new creation will be all that remains of you. And there's going to be some finishing off work for Jesus to do. And for some of us, and this may well be me, probably quite a lot of finishing off work to do. I've many times over the years heard my father preach. He says, says, when I get my resurrection body, I've ordered six foot two and full of muscles. (laughs) You see, I would like to say amen to that. But I feel there's probably an element of sowing and reaping that goes on with the present body and the resurrection body. So Chris may well be, you know attain to that with all the investment that he's done in I'm not quite sure what I'll get but I know it'll be glorious so you know 
He wants to reveal his glory. Very quickly, I've got lots of other scriptures, but I'm just going to stick to the ones that are here in, in Ephesians 3. You know, one of the ways that God works his glory into us in the present age is through suffering. Peter, in fact, writes to, to, well, the whole church, really, and he says, look, he says, when you suffer, don't think something strange is happening. Um, He says, you will suffer for the gospel. That's a great encouragement if you're suffering, isn't it? If things are going wrong for you, if the authorities are after you, if they're beating you up, if they're putting you in prison, if they're taking away your possessions, and you think, oh, I must have done something to displease God, and then you get a letter from Peter saying, no, no, you're doing the right thing. That's why this is happening. That's, that's, that's part of the deal of the gospel. And he says, when we suffer, the spirit of God's glory rests upon us. Paul says here in, in Ephesians 3, um, and uh, verse 13, I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you. It is your glory. And there's lots of other places. If you want to look this up, it's very easy. Go into concordance and just look up the word suffering and have a look through the New Testament. You'll find out quite quickly. It's part of the deal, but it's one of the ways that God works his glory into us. His glory is also our source of strength, faith, and love. Look at this in verse 14. This reason I bow on my knees before the Father, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that you may be rooted and grounded in love. These come out of God's glory. His glory is the source of all this goodness. John read the scripture for us this morning. I think it was John. From John chapter 1. From his fullness... It's another way that the Bible talks about the glory of God. There are these kind of destiny words or destination words through the scriptures. Glory, fullness, all in all. They kind of all are trying to strive to find a way to communicate in language that we can understand the great mystery of what God ultimately wants to do in the world. And it's from the fullness of Christ, from Christ who is already full of glory, who is already the plan and the pattern of what God wants to do, of saying, you know, out of this, he's taking and you're receiving. You're receiving grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And we'll finish with this. This is a little kind of benediction at the end, which is a kind of a blessing. It's not a drink. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work with us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. It's the same glory. What God wants to be seen in the church is the glory of Jesus himself. That's where he's taking us. That's where he's leading us. That's where he's working. That's why this is the most incredible company that there is in the world. And thank God we're one of hundreds of thousands of such companies across this world that God is shaping 
and moulding and filling with his glory and saying, now through the church, now the universe is going to see, now the heavens are going to see, now every eye is going to see what the glory of God looks like. Here it is. Does that sound like something worth giving your life for? I'm glad you said yes, because actually you've already joined up. I'm just helping you, def- I'm just helping you get to grips with the small print. <laughs> when you said yes to Jesus, this is what you said yes to. And the wonderful thing is the more we discover about it, the more our hearts go yes again and again. I don't do this very often, but I just want to put a little challenge out there and ask you to respond to it. I'd like to pray. I often like to pray when we finish. But I would particularly like to pray today for us to pray together and say, Lord, we want to be this house for your glory. We're prepared to count the cost of what it might take. We're prepared to even embrace the suffering that might need to come in order for your glory to be seen. We're prepared to readjust our priorities in every area of our life. We're prepared to lay the things down that that might be good, but actually are not the right thing for us to be doing or giving our attention to. We're ready to lay down our own preferences and choices and say, whatever it takes to be the people who will display your glory in the world. We're ready for that, Lord. I know for many of you, it's not the first time you've thought about these things. It's something that lives and burns within you. But I do feel there's a challenge from the Holy Spirit today for us to say afresh, Lord, we stand and say amen to your purpose being outworked through your church, through this church, through these people. Thanks for listening to this teaching from City Church Coventry. You can find more great teaching and other resources on our website at www.citychurchcoventry.org.